Good morning, everyone. Glad to see everybody here this morning. Welcome, definitely. If you haven't been here before or have just been here a couple of times, we definitely are glad that, uh, that you're here. We love it when we have guests here. And uh, hey, look around. We got a pretty full house here today. It's awesome. And so for you, if you haven't been here or haven't really been tracking too much, uh, we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark. We've made it to Mark chapter 5. Last week we looked at the first 20 verses in Mark chapter 5, and just by a way of a little bit of review, uh, Jesus and his disciples had crossed over the Sea of Galilee by boat, and they landed on kind of the southeast shore of the Sea of Galilee, which that whole region in the southeast of the Sea of Galilee, as you're looking at me, I'll try to do it in mirror image, so it would be on this side of the Sea of Galilee, was mostly Gentile communities, mostly Gentile communities on that side, and there a man came and met him as he got out of the boat. This was no ordinary guy. Uh, This guy had a lot of issues, we would say in our day. He had lots of issues. This guy was demon-possessed. Uh, he, was, he was a guy that lived among the tombs, it says in the Gospel of Mark and also in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I think Luke 8 is kind of the parallel passage. He lived among the tombs. He was an outcast in his community. He w- lived a self-destructive life, the Word says. He lived an uncontrollable life, all because he was under this demonic influence. With a word, Jesus heals him of this issue. And it's a, powerful, it's a powerful display, it's a powerful passage to read through because that's how Jesus works with his people. That's how he works with you and that's how he works with me and in our own issues. The influences that you and I have been under, the flesh, the enemy, you name it, is that Jesus speaks to our situation and with a word can heal us. He heals this guy, he sets him free, and he didn't just set him free to to just say, all right, go have a normal life. That wasn't what he told him at all. He said, because the guy wanted to go with him, the word says in Mark 5. He wanted to go with him. He says, please, let me go with you. Let me go with you, because Jesus and his guys, they're loading back up on the boat. The guy wants to go with him, and Jesus says, no, no, you can't go with me. And, and, and I thought a lot as I was reading through that, like, what a, what a disappointing, you know, reply it must have been uh, initially, kind of this disappointing thing, because, you know, who wouldn't want to go with somebody that just healed him? And Jesus says, you go back to your, your people, the word says. You go back to yours. All the people that had abandoned him, all the people that tried to control him, all the people that tried to help him manage his, his sinful state, that's the people that Jesus says, you go back to your people and you tell them how awesome God is. You display to them through your life how much compassion God has had on you. And it's a telling, uh, a telling story of how much God cares for people and how much he wants to use people how much God wants to impact communities through, if not anything, a single life. Just a single life. God wants to impact these ten cities uh, in the area of Decapolis. Deca meaning ten. So there was ten communities there in that region. And this guy's whole goal then became to 
evangelize and to witness about what God had done in that region. Now we pick it up in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, open them there. Mark 5, 21 to the end of the chapter is where we're going to be today. The word says here in Mark 5, 21, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, came, Jairus by name. And when he had saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him, earnestly saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay, hands, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she had heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and when she fell <clears throat> and she felt it in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in herself that power, had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But Jesus' disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her, to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has been made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the tumult, those who had wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, and entered where the child was laying. He then took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know, that no one should know it, and said something should be given to her to eat. Wow. All you, can, all you can say when, you, when we read through this, at least, there's just like, and that's the way Mark writes his gospel. It's just bam, 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 one account after another. And all you can say, like every time I read through it, I just stop and say, wow. I mean, this is just crazy. This story is just, it's just mind-blowing in so many ways. And here Jesus and his disciples, he just had healed this guy that, that had, you know, a legion of demons and, and was and was, you know, living amongst the dead and the decaying, and then they're like, all right, well, let's load up in the boat. Let's go back to the other side. And so they go to the other side, and immediately again, then somebody is approaching him. 
And there's these massive crowds, verse 21 says, that are gathered around him and, and, and pushing and, and shoving. And, and uh, I don't like big crowds, honestly. I, I'm, I'm I, you know, I'll stand it if it's something that I... The last time I was probably in a big, big crowd was going to Seahawks game. And I'm not going to make this whole sermon about football. But you just kind of just bear with it. because Why? Because, well, because I love football. And so you just kind of deal with the big crowds. But nobody likes to be in that situation, right? Nobody likes to sit there and you're just kind of shoulder to shoulder and trying to get in line and one step forward and, and stand around and all that. And that's the situation here with Jesus and his disciples. They're just kind of getting uh, pushed and shoved around. And here this guy comes up, Jairus is his name, a synagogue leader who approaches Jesus with this critical emergency. He's got a critical emergency. Time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. There's not a moment to spare in this story with this little girl. Not one moment. And I'll refer to this later in the sermon, but if you were watching football Monday night, you saw the same thing. You saw a Monday night football situation where there wasn't a moment to spare. And so there's this, there's this emergency. Now notice how Jairus approaches Jesus. Notice his approach. It says, when he saw him, he fell at his feet. That's the first thing he does. And he begged him earnestly. He begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. First Jairus declares Jesus' authority by falling at his feet. And then it says, and he begged him earnestly. You know what that means? That means he was 100% honest with Jesus about his situation. Or When you're earnest, you're truthful. You're honest. You're real. There, there's not something still in your pocket that you're holding on to. There's not some, some detail that you, that you want to just keep to yourself. There's not some aspect of your life that, that Jesus doesn't need to know about. He was earnest with Jesus. He was honest with Jesus. He was pleading with Jesus. He had nowhere to go. He was, in a sense, the situation was so dire, there was nothing left. And he hears this guy's coming, coming across the sea. He meets him. He gets in front of him. There's four things we need to think about when we're coming to Christ. We must put ourselves in the presence of Jesus. We have, we have to put ourselves, if, 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 you, if you want Jesus, if in a sense, like if you want Jesus to address your situation, it doesn't mean that you phone it in. Right? It's, it's, Jesus doesn't operate that way. God doesn't operate that way. We just phone it in from a distance. No, we have to be in the presence of God. We have to be before the Lord. And today's a great opportunity for that. Every Sunday, every time that, that the, the community of believers are getting together is always a great opportunity. It's not the only opportunity, but it is always a great opportunity. The second thing is, is we have to humble ourselves sincerely before Jesus. He fell at his feet. That's humbling. This guy was the leader of the synagogue. Yet he was humble. He was sincere before the Lord. The third thing is, is that we must lay open our requests with a holy earnestness and honesty. Essentially what that means is, is that as, 
as people coming to the Lord to, to have Jesus solve your issue, to have him address and bring uh, healing into your life and into my life, that means we have to be honest about the details. We have to have honest evaluation of what's going on. And the last one, the fourth one, is that we must have total confidence in the power and the goodness of Christ. There's a confidence that Jairus has here. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed while she's, and she will live. There's a confidence that comes then as we come to Christ, bringing all of the junk, bringing all of the details, bringing all the truth of our situation, that there's a confidence that comes, that that's the only way that there's going to be an answer. And there's some confidence there. The guy recognized Jesus for who he said he was. And all of that is done in faith. The Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, speaking of the Lord. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It has to be done in faith. Jairus was coming in faith, and he was desperately and diligently seeking Jesus to heal his daughter. So Mark says, Jesus is on his way with him. Okay, let's go do it. Verse 25 is this massive interruption then into the story. Remember, time is of the essence. Time is critical. There's not a moment to spare. And now a certain woman shows up with the flow of blood for 12 years. Suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all of that she had had and was no better. Rather, she grew worse, the word says in verse 26. And when she had heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, and her, to herself at least, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. So now you have two critical emergencies in a sense. Although one, we look at, well, well what about this little girl? What about her scenario? Like she's on the edge of death. This lady's been battle, battling this thing for some time. Well, the words are pretty clear. Twelve years this lady had struggled she had struggled, struggled medically. Twelve years she had been considered socially unclean according to Jewish law. Twelve years she had endured the shame and the humiliation of not being allowed to worship. And according to the Jewish ideas of the time, if this woman touched anyone, she made him or her ceremonially unclean as well. This uncleanness did not allow them to take part in any aspect of Israel's worship. That's out of Leviticus 15, if you're curious. It says there, 12 years she had suffered many things from many physicians. Uh, the medical practices in the first century, by our standards today, were somewhat sketchy. Let's just put it that way. Uh, they did a lot of things. Uh, they did a lot of things 200 years ago that to, to us seemed really barbaric. So here she had suffered many things from many physicians. It made me think of the question, what doctor, in quotes, do people turn to when they have a situation that seems unfixable? What quote-unquote doctor do you turn to in your life, in your situation, in areas of your life where it just doesn't seem like it's unfixable? It just doesn't seem like it's going to... And so you turn to a doctor, I turn to a doctor. What doctor is it? Doctor Entertainment? 
I, I mean, I'll just be honest. That's one, of my, that's one of my things. Like when I get a little depressed, when I get or struggling with something, hey, it's real easy for me to just like, well, let's just fire up Netflix and binge watch, you know, uh, uh, a series or something. And a lot of times I know, my wife definitely knows, so she's real quick to, to help me along and speak good things into my life, that, that that's not healthy. That's not good. In essence, what she's saying, what I'm saying to all of us, is go to a different doctor. Doctor entertainment takes people astray. How about doctor success then? If it's not uh, vegging out, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, doctor success, the workaholic. Do you go to doctor success? Hide at work, put in the extra hours, stay at work, justify working way more than you should so that you don't have to go home and deal with the issues at home. Is doctor success your uh, doctor of choice to help resolve your issues? Definitely can be. What about doctor self-help? Yeah, all these, uh, you know, millions have been made on TV and these midday shows is, you know, uh, Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil. Back in the day, it was, uh, uh, what was the guy, Phil Donahue, you know. It's really the self-help generation that you can do for you what needs to be done. You just have to find the right avenue. Is that the doctor that, 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 that you turn to, that I turn to? Is that the doctor that we're tempted to, to turn to? Is that the doctor that you could say of you? Uh, has suffered many things in your life, just self-help, self-help, never getting anywhere. Of course, then there's the, uh, the threesome, the doctor, alcohol, drugs, or porn. Definitely is a place to medicate, but never brings a solution that needs to be really brought to be set free. People chase around, kind of like this lady, and let me tell you, you could tell us in your own story, you can think of your own story, were you ever any better for it? Chasing all these other doctors. Were you ever really any better for it? Was your marriage any better for it? Were your finances ever really any better for it? All the self-help stuff, was it ever really any better? No. No, you can say unequivocally, no. Looking back, no. You don't say no during it because you're still chasing but looking back in your story, you can say, no. No, we were like this lady. We were worse off in the end. She'd spent all she had. So not only did she chase around trying to get all the help that she could, she literally went broke and grew worse for it. Here's the turning point, verse 27 in her story. Now remember, the, t- the clock is still ticking. I'd thought about if we just had this like real kind of a loud tick, 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 tick. You know, time's, time is of the essence for this little girl. So that all the while, this is still going on in the background. It's not bothering Jesus. I'm guessing, this is just my uh, insertion, my guess on where Jairus was. I'm guessing Jairus was just like, come on, come on, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. Didn't seem to bother Jesus in the least because here's this lady's tipping point. When she had heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Only Dr. Jesus can heal our situation and solve our deepest needs. That was the solution for this lady. I'm here to tell you, that is your solution too. And that's the solution for the people that you're out there ministering to in the community. 
the people that you work with, the people that you, that you do life with, the people that you meet at the grocery store or the gas station, the people that, that, uh, that, that your kids go to school with, you name it. That's the solution. That's the solution for life. It's not all the rest of this stuff that looks good. It's not all the stuff that our society would promote. It's not all the stuff that's out there in culture to be swallowed up whole. Only Dr. Jesus can heal our deepest issues. Only Dr. Jesus can heal our situation and solve our deepest needs. And this lady, like Jairus, is believing in faith that Jesus could heal her issues. So she just simply in faith reached out and touched him. She just got close enough. She just kind of pushed her way through a cloud. Now remember, let's put it in context. She was socially an outcast. She was socially, she was unclean in that culture. So my guess is is that she's kind of drawn her hood up tight so she wasn't too recognized. And she just worked her way through the crowd. You know that type. Like we've all been at concerts. Like, my kids were good with this when they were teenagers. Uh, yeah, well, we want to go closer. All right, go ahead. You know, we'll be right here. Next thing you know, they're just, you know how it is. Kids are pretty good at just weaseling their way through a crowd. And this lady just weasels her way. She just gets up in there and says, like, I have to touch him. I believe that I'm going to be healed if I just get up and give a touch, even if it's just to his cloak, even if it's just to his garment. That's faith. That's faith. And that's also a recognition that all these other methods that are out there to heal her deepest issue were a joke. They didn't work. So she had one opportunity left. And so she gave it all she had. That's faith. That's that's believing and putting feet to what we believe. So Jesus then asked this question in the midst of the crowd, who touched me, to which his disciples, I was like, what is going on here? Why would you even ask that question? There's dozens and dozens of people pushing around and, and, you know, we're bumping into one another like everybody's touching you was kind of their sarcastic reply. But why did Jesus, the question kind of arises, why did Jesus ask the question? He knew, the word says, he knew that his power had left him. He knew that there was something miraculous just took place. So why did he ask the question? Was it to embarrass and shame this lady? Was it to degrade a social and religious outcast? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. There's really, I believe, five reasons why Jesus asked this question, who touched me? The first one is is so she would know for sure that she was healed. So she would know that he knew that she touched him. Not just everybody in the crowd, but she touched him. So it wasn't to embarrass her. It wasn't to, to highlight somehow her social shame and her condition that she'd been struggling with for 12 years. He asked the question so that she would have confidence that she was healed. 
She would know for sure that's confidence that she was healed. The second reason is so that others would know that she was healed. So that others would know. Hey, this is a tight crowd. This is a big crowd. They're moving. They're on their way to this house. And all of a sudden, everything comes to a stop. Jesus wanted others to know that she was healed. Sometimes that, that can be, a, a, if, if, we're, if we're not careful, that can be a little embarrassing. Are you willing to take the, the risk that when Jesus touches your life and heals your issue and speaks into your issue, brings resolve to your issue, are you willing to take the risk to share that, to allow it to be known publicly in a public setting that you're healed? Jesus wants other people to know of your healing. The third one is, is so that she would know why she was healed. She would know why she was healed. And so that she didn't, the next one is, is so that she didn't think that she had somehow, quote unquote, stolen a blessing from God. That was kind of, a, that's kind of the picture that Mark writes for us there. That here she is kind of sneaking in through the crowd, you know, and she just wants to reach, she's just going to reach up and just touch him. And it'll just be this, you know, real casual thing. It'll be real, this real easy thing. Hey, guess what? He'll never know. He'll never know. So somehow I can then just steal a blessing from God. To me, this is probably the funniest one of the list because let's get, we don't steal a blessing from God. You think somehow this isn't going to go unnoticed? You think that somehow you're just going to slip by and, you know, yeah, God touched me. Yeah, or I touched Him and everything's good. She didn't steal a blessing. She... He wanted her to know that there was no way that she was going to steal a blessing from God. The last one is so that she would understand that she was a daughter. So that she would understand that her identity has now changed. Jesus reaches out and calls her daughter. It's an affectionate term. He reaches out and essentially is saying this, You're mine. You're mine. You're, you're one of mine. Just like he did the, the demon-possessed guy on the other side of the sea. Hey, you're now one of mine. Go and share the good news. He doesn't tell her that necessarily. But he calls her daughter. There's perhaps a sixth reason. It's the most impactful reason of all. And verse 33 of chapter 5 of Mark says this, But the woman, fearing and trembling... <laughs> Yeah, now all the attention is on her. The whole crowd is looking at her. Fearing and trembling probably is a very fitting way to describe her posture at this point. The woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, because she had felt it. She had felt the healing in her own body. She came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I'm here to tell you, friends, that being real with God is the most important thing you will ever be. Being real with Christ is the most important thing you will ever be. She told him not part of the truth, not just, hey, I've been struggling, you know. She didn't say, oh, uh, this is a classic one for Christianity, you know, I have an unspoken prayer request. Right? We've always been there. Right? Or, hey, I just, I got something heavy on me, will you pray for me? It wasn't that at all. She told him the whole truth. There's a parallel between her and Jairus. Jairus was earnest with God, meaning completely truthful. She, Mark just tells us, the whole truth. She just laid out the whole story to him. 
start to finish. She told him everything. Which means that she bore all of her shame before God. She told him her whole story, how it started, how it went, how bad it got, how broke she got in the process, how low she had sank. She told him the whole truth. And I'm here to tell you, there's not a more powerful thing that can happen in the lives of a believer is that when we come in contact with the truth of God, and then we're truthful. That's when things start to change. That's when things start to change. She didn't give a version of the truth. She didn't give a partial truth. She didn't get into blame shifting and say, well, this doctor tried then and this and then something else. God is looking for His people to agree with Him about their situation in truthfulness. God, I'll say that again. God is looking for His people to agree with Him about their situation. That's where healing starts to occur. That's where things start to change in our lives. God is looking to deal with honest people. Now, before we got there, for the believer, before you got there, before I got there, it doesn't mean that God's still not drawing. It doesn't mean that God's still not convicting. Absolutely. But change really happens when there's a truthfulness and a truthful conversation. God is looking for, the Lord is looking for the whole truth. That fundamental principle really goes clear back to the Garden of Eden. If we think about Genesis, the book of Genesis and how we started, I'm going to throw another pitch out there. I mean, it's a great time. You're only a week behind if you haven't started to read through the Bible chronologically. We're taking a little different approach rather than chronologically we're reading it. Uh, what's the best way to describe it? We're reading it through the Old Testament, then the New Testament. That's how it is. But uh, if you think about the fall in the Garden of Eden and God's interaction with Adam and Eve after that, they were given a, a, a version of the truth. They were giving partial truth. They were blame-shifting. There's a fundamental principle that goes clear back to the Garden of Eden, and that is this, is that God works with the whole truth. And either we, either we get on board with that, or we don't. But God is always on board with it. He's always on board with the whole truth. We're called to do hard things, and to be truthful regardless of the fact that it might be embarrassing and just like this lady <clears throat> Jesus really had a higher purpose in it all I want to say this because I think it's important for the story definitely she had all of the potential of being embarrassing and she had per probably every opportunity to try to avoid that embarrassment but I want to say here today that if avoiding embarrassment is the most important thing to you, then that's your God. I'll just say it that flat. If, I'll say it again. If avoiding the embarrassment of your situation is the most important thing to you, then that is really your God. Because it's pride. That's just what it is. It's pride. And pride then becomes your God. When we come to God, we need to tell Him the whole truth not leaving anything out. We need to tell Jesus both about the core issues in our life, 
the sin in our life and also then the suffering in our life or the symptoms, the symptoms that are out there. But we need to be honest with God. And there's a huge difference then between casual contact with Jesus and really reaching out in faith. That's the contrast between all the rest of the crowd and this lady. All the rest of the crowd that was jostling around and trying to get to Jairus' house, and again, tick, 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 the clock's still ticking, right? It's still going. This girl's still in trouble. Jesus is now dealing with this whole other situation. Jairus is sitting there. Hey, we got to go, we got to go. And the difference between everybody else in the crowd and this lady is the difference between a casual contact with Jesus, just bumping into him once in a while, and really getting before him and telling him the truth. That's the difference. That's the, that's the contrast. And the call for us, and the call for really all people, is to get real with God, not just have a casual bump in with the Lord. Oftentimes Sunday is the casual bump in with the Lord. That it's just, uh, hey, you know, I, I, you know I, I, need to, I need to have God in my life, and I'll go to church on Sunday, but then kind of that's it. You know, or, or these things sit on our shelves and just you know, load up with dust until you know, Sunday morning. Then we grab them and go and have another casual contact with Jesus. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. Now, as, as I've said a couple of times, while all this has taken place, old Jairus is standing by tapping his toe with his daughter near death, and Mark 5, 35 through 36 says this, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? What a gut punch. Um, <laughs> if you're a dad, and you're thinking about that, that word coming to you, what a gut punch. I can't fathom being in that moment. I can't fathom being in Jairus' shoes. And Jesus nearly almost, in my estimation, almost interrupting. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the words that were spoken, so nearly interrupting this messenger, as soon as he had heard the words, he, said to the, he, turned, to, to, he turned right to Jairus and says, don't be afraid, only believe. He turns to him immediately, immediately, says, don't be afraid. Because that's our natural instinct. That's, that's our natural, that's our natural uh, inclination that when we get that kind of news, it's like, you know, I mean, just I just want to let out a big scream. I don't wake anybody up that might be taking a little snooze, right? And you all know that I have this massive voice and I really want to bring it out. My point is, that's the natural inclination. Is oh no. And now we're afraid. In other words, it would, might have been running through his mind, I've done all I can do. I've gone to get the one guy that can actually heal her, and now the clock has ran out. Triple zeros. There's no time left. The guy says, well, and, and no reason to bother this guy anymore. Like, in other words, there's a certain amount of confidence from the messenger to tell Jarius, his boss, hey, don't even bother the teacher anymore. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. And it is interesting that Jesus doesn't respond to the messenger, the messenger of, of fear. 
Jesus turns right to Jairus, the head of the house, with this message. And he tells him, hey, choose faith over fear. Choose faith over fear. How do we respond when we're pushed to the limits of life and death? Faith or fear? It was inspiring. Um, <coughs> now you're going to make me cry because now I'm going to talk about football. Because I'm pretty passionate about football. But it was inspiring Monday night. For the, who watched the Monday night football game? Or at least we got a half a quarter in. Are we right? Three to seven. That was it. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Does nobody watch the news? I'll give you the nuts and bolts. So, uh, uh, <clears throat> partway through the first quarter, DeMar Hamlin, uh, defensive back for the Buffalo Bills, was coming across to make a tackle, and he basically ran into the ball carrier who hit him kind of shoulder. The, the, the receiver hit DeMar Hamlin with his right shoulder, right just teed square up in his chest. DeMar Hamlin kind of swung around and made the tackle, stood up after the tackle, and then just, he just went over backwards, right to the mat. And uh, it was inspiring Monday night then to watch uh, as the whole thing unfolded. Maybe you, uh, essentially, I'll, I'll just tell the whole story. So down he goes, you know, play stops. People come running onto the field. Uh, they're working on this guy for what seemed like an eternity. Players are gathering around. You start reading the body language of the players, though, and, and, you start, and the announcers, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, uh, they start like, oh, this is bad, you know, just watching these, these, these grown men start breaking out in tears, and they're, they're doing this, and they're walking around, and, you know, they're crouching down, they're doing all these different things. So you know it's bad. We just don't know how bad it is. And, and then... Uh, they start to load him up. The ambulance backs out on the field. They start to load it. They start to lift him up on the, on the board and immediately set him back down. They start doing CPR on, which you can't really see on the in the footage, but they started working on him and uh, then get him loaded up, got him to the hospital. What was most inspiring, really, was uh, after they had left, uh, Sean McDermott, who's a Christ follower. He's the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. He gathered his team at midfield on national TV, <laughs> all got on their knees, and just, he prayed for them as a team. I mean, these are, these, are, these are big dudes. I mean, they are, you know, there's, what, 50, 60 guys on a team, you know, plus all you got, all your trainers, all your coaches, everything. Everybody's out there. Everybody's heads down. Everybody's praying for DeMar, who's now getting carted off to the hospital. In, in, in the midst of being, you know, uh, in, in the midst of a cardiac arrest. And uh, here on national TV, this all unfolds for us. And, of course, you got players from the Cincinnati Bengals going out and praying for them, give them their condolences. It's, it's kind of interesting in a lot of ways. They didn't, they didn't talk about it, but I was thinking about it as I was watching. I was thinking, you know, Tim Tebow's been taking a knee on the sideline for years, you know, for when he was in the NFL, and, and a very outspoken believer, went to school at Florida, awesome quarterback, Heisman Trophy, winner, the whole nine yards. He's been taking a knee forever, college and in the pros, 
And he's, been, he's just been just ripped up one side and down the other by our media, by non-believers, all across the board. He's been ridiculed. He's been made fun of. You know, there's no place for that. You know, of course, Tim, T- Tim Tebow's the one that started doing the verses and his, you know, eye black stuff, writing it in. The whole nine yards. And, uh, and here now in one moment of tragedy, in one moment of tragedy, uh, this whole team gets together and does exactly what Team Tebow has been doing for years. And it was an awesome display. And not only that, but several weeks later, and now, of course, DeMar Hamlin's, he's talking, he's doing better, he's making what appears to be a full recovery. Later this week, in a, just the other day, in a press conference, uh, Sean McDermott, the head coach, was quote, I wrote, I listened to it and wrote it down, but here's this quote. He said, glory to God for keeping DeMar and his family. Glory to God for keeping DeMar and his family in the palm of his hands over the last couple of days and his healing power. All right, any questions? <laughs> this is at a press conference. All right, now any questions? Now, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, I just wish all of the press would just talk about that quote. Let's, let's not worry about football. I mean, let's get an update on tomorrow for sure. Let's talk to Sean McDermott. Let's ask him questions about his faith. Let's ask Sean McDermott about how he as a man of God has led his team, his organization, through the, one of the toughest times that any sporting event, any, any team's ever gone through. Let's talk to him about that. I mean, those are the thoughts in my mind. Because Sean McDermott's more than willing to talk about God's healing power. More than willing. As Christians, we're called and equipped and empowered to demonstrate just what Sean McDermott demonstrated this whole week is that faith in God is stronger than any fear out there. That faith in God, faith in who Jesus is, is way more, infinitely more powerful than anything we could even ever face. Even if DeMar would not have made it. Even if that would have been his last moment on earth. The reality and the truth of the Word of God and the reality that Sean has exhibited is is that faith in Christ is still more powerful than anything that we could face. As Christians, we're called, equipped, and empowered to demonstrate that same faith. And part of that walk, then, is to cast off the voices that don't stand in support. Look at verse 37 of Mark 5. As he permitted no one to follow him, this is Jesus then, still going forward, still going to address the issue, still going to go to Jairus' house. And he permitted no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the tumult. And those who wept and wailed loudly, when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had, here's the phrase, put them all outside. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. In the first century, in that culture, 
there were, in essence, mourners for hire. There were those that, would, that you could pay, and they would put on all the appropriate attire, and they would come, and they would play the part, and they would weep, and they would wail, and they would make a big commotion. They were mourners for hire. I, I, it, seems, it, it seems really, really weird to me. I, I mean, I can't fathom it in our modern day that we would hire people to come to a funeral just so that there would be people there crying. I mean, that just doesn't register with me. But that's how it was in the first century. These guys were mourners for hire. They didn't really have any other reason to be there other than they were paid to be there to weep and to wail. And this is the crowd that Jesus puts outside. In essence, he removed their doubt and criticism from the scene. They go from weeping and wailing loudly in verse uh, 38 to ridiculing him for what he was doing in verse 40. And they ridiculed him, it said. In other words, they're making fun of Jesus for the reason he's there. They're there for essentially financial gain. And so he just says, enough. That's enough. Put yourself in Jerry's shoes. It's hard to believe it when you're surrounded by doubt and criticism. But Jesus is the one that removes these negative influences, these negative voices. And really, it's an, it's an awesome example. This was Jairus' house. So Jesus coming as a guest into the scene, onto the, into the house where all this commotion is take, taking place. He's a guest. Jairus essentially gives him the nod, go ahead. It's really a beautiful example of Jairus choosing faith over fear. Because he says, all right, Jesus, and Jesus boots him outside. He tra- here's, here's how it breaks down. Jairus, really as the head of the home, he transfers authority to Jesus in that moment to deal with the doubt and criticism. How about us? Things that you still struggle with, issues that still are unresolved in your life, are you transferred authority to Christ in your life? Have you given it over to Jesus and said, yeah, deal with it. Deal with it. It's a beautiful picture, really. Of course, Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He goes in and calls the girl to rise up. He calls her to her feet. And of course, she was healed. Really, the girl and the lady were both healed. It's really another aspect of this greater story, as time's drawn short, is, is that Jesus' timing is not always our timing if we're in Jairus' shoes, right? It, it seems off. Why stop now? Why, why deal with this now, Lord? There was a timing component for Jairus. There was an urgency of timing component for the lady. She needed healing too. But Jesus heals them both in his time. He heals them both in his time. And both the lady and Jairus were honest and truthful with the Lord. In a lot of ways, there's some interesting connections. The lady, of course, as the verse said early on, that she had struggled with this issue for 12 years, 12 years of heartache and suffering that led to poverty, 12 years of pain and agony, and shame. The girl then also had those same 12 years of healthy growing and learning and fun and being a 12-year-old girl. The lady then also came to Jesus 
privately believing that she would be healed and was immediately healed publicly. She thought she could come in privately and guess what Jesus does? He heals her in the crowd publicly. Jairus, on the other hand, we see in the verses before that, Jairus, on the other hand, he comes publicly to Jesus in an emergency. And in God's own timing, in the Lord's own timing, Jesus does all these different things. Then he heals Jairus' daughter privately. Privately. It's kind of an interesting twist to the whole story. It's an interesting way uh, that only God can work. What are we to make of it all as the worship team comes on up and as David comes forward to our communion? What are we to make of it? Here's what we can make of it. Despite how we see things going down, Jesus knows what's going on. Not only does he know what's going on in your life, not only does he know what's going on in my life, but Jesus knows what he's doing. We can have faith in that. We can have confidence in that. We can trust in that. And his, na- his ways are not always our ways. His timing is not ours, our timing. But we can have trust and we can have confidence that Jesus' ways and his timing are good. He has a good plan for you. He has a good plan for your marriage. He has a good plan for your family. He has a good plan for this fellowship. And his ways are not always our ways. The question is, are we, are we as individuals or as families, as marriages, as a church, are we on board with what Jesus is doing? Are we on board with what he's doing? And are we willing to let him do what only he can do to bring resolve to an unresolvable problem? Are we willing to to let Christ deal with in his time and in his ways each situation in our lives? Are we going to ignore, let Jesus, and, and actually let Jesus deal with the doubters, with the critics? We're going to trust in His plan because His plan is a good plan. Amen? Amen. Amen. David, come on up.